When I begin to study the subject of prayer in the Word of God, it becomes just more and more interesting in me all the time. Some people might see prayer as something very simple like the communication between God and one of His children on the earth. And, and that, excuse me, that is what it is. When uh, we pray, we, we lift up our voice and communicate with God who created us, with our wonderful Redeemer who has saved us from our sins. Uh, find many things said about prayer. We find in the book of James 5.16 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So that's a great encouragement. should be to each and every one of us. But also read in Romans 8.26 and 27 where Paul says, For we know not what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit of God maketh intercession with us with groanings that cannot be uttered. While we ha may have trouble praying like we really should, the Lord has promised to give us the assistance of the Holy Spirit to give us guidance and strength in this matter, you see. I read where there are short prayers and there are long prayers. I read where there are uh, verbal you know, prayers and I read where there are silent prayers. Uh, there's a lot more to prayer than might meet the eye. But I want to look at a woman this morning who prayed a very short prayer and I believe it, felt it uh, fit all the categories I've already mentioned. It's found in the book of Matthew chapter 15. And you can be reading verse 21. This woman lived in a place called Tyre or Sidon. Now, in the back of your Bible, most Bibles anyway, you'll have maps. I think I have about a dozen maps in the back of my Bible. But they're very beneficial. They're very helpful and useful. And as you read about these different locations in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, if you turn back there and look at the map and see where these places are, uh, I think it, it helps you focus on the situation, the circumstances that you might be reading and studying. So if you turn to back in the back of your Bible, you don't do it now, but anyway, you know the land of Palestine, the land of Canaan is like this, and the Mediterranean Sea uh, is on the, the west side. At the top part of the Mediterranean Sea is two cities called Tyre and Sidon. Now these were in uh, a land that we refer to as Gentile territory. So that's very important if you understand that. See, if you just read this story, and you find it not only in Matthew 15, but also in Mark chapter 7, uh, and you just read about a woman and Jesus engaging in conversation, oh, you'll get some good truths out of it, and you'll get some benefit, but to benefit the most, you need to understand a little bit about these two cities, for example, and the inhabitants of these cities. Now, Tyre and Sidon bordered on the land of Canaan. So the land of Canaan is where the Israelites had settled. And it went right up to this, to this border here. You've got Lebanon and Syria also up here. But Tyre and Sidon are mentioned a number of times in Scripture. For example, in the 11th chapter here of Matthew, you'll find where the Lord began to upbraid the cities where most of His wonderful works were done. The word upbraid means he began to re rebuke them. Now, he first of all mentions two cities, Chorazon and Bethsaida. He said, now, if the many mighty works that were done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, now remember, these are Gentile cities, okay, Tyre and Sidon, he said they would have repented uh, of their sins. He says, but it shall be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for you. And then he said, Capernaum, he said, Thou art exalted into heaven, shall, shall be brought down to hell. And said, For if the mighty works as were done in you were done in Sodom, now notice Sodom, 
says they would have repented. It says, but it shall be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom than it shall be for you. When you read Matthew 8 and 9, you read 10 miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ did in rapid succession. Five of those 10 miracles was done in Capernaum. They had many mighty works done by the Lord Jesus Christ. Capernaum and these three Jewish cities had, had the blessing of Christ being there and doing many mighty wonderful works. Tyre and Sidon did not have that privilege. The Lord uses two Gentile cities and two godless cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, to teach this lesson. Now, when the Lord gives us special privileges, it brings on special responsibility. And sometimes when we fail to meet that responsibility, there can come special judgments upon us. And the Lord was going to judge those three Jewish cities and uses two Gentile cities and two godless cities to get his truth and his point across. Now, you go to Acts chapter 12, you'll find where Herod was very displeased with the inhabitants of Tyre and Sidon on this occasion. We're not told why, just, we're just told he was greatly displeased with them. And because of that, they had a committee, or, or you might say ambassadors, from those two cities to come down to Herod to plead their cause and their case. While they were there, Herod gave a great oration. I mean, a great speech. And the Lord smote him because he gave not him the glory. When he gave this great oration, the people just praised him for it. And he actually called him a God. That was dangerous. It turned out to be very dangerous for Herod because God sent an angel. That angel smote Herod and he died right there on the spot, right in front of those ambassadors, you might say, from these two cities. In the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, the Lord is teaching a lesson on his sovereignty. And he tells the Jewish people on that occasion, there was a time when Elijah, in the Old Testament, go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, where Elijah went into Sarepta, a city of Sidon. And there is where the Lord had commanded a widow woman to sustain him during the time of the famine when he hadn't reigned for three and a half years. That was a Gentile city. And the Jews got upset with the Lord when he taught them that lesson on his sovereignty because they thought all special blessings and favors was to come upon them and not upon the Gentiles. But the Lord showed he was sovereign and he can bless who he wants to bless, when he wants to bless, and where he wants to bless. And that's what he did, you see. In Luke chapter 6, you're going to find where a multitude of people came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says they came to hear him and also to be healed of many of their diseases. And we're told where these people came from. They came from Judea. They came from Samaria. That's to be expected. But they also came from Tyre and Sidon. So the people in these Gentile cities was close enough to the borders of Israel that they were hearing about this man named Jesus. They were hearing there was a man named Jesus that was teaching astonishing things. That when he would teach, they would reply, never man spake like this man spake. When he taught, people were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished at his words. And they had heard that this man had power to heal. This man could heal all types of afflictions and diseases. Remember what the Lord said to John the Baptist when he was placed in prison? The Lord, you know, John sent out messengers, disciples, and saying, is this he that should come or do we look for another? And the Lord says, you go back and you tell John again these things. You tell him that the blind see. You tell him that the deaf hear. You tell him that the lame walk. 
You tell him that the lepers are cleansed. You tell him that the dead are raised back to life. And then you also tell him that the poor have the gospel preached unto them. You notice that the poor having the gospel is listed right there with that list of miracles. It's just as much a miracle for the gospel to be preached as it is for somebody to be healed from blindness. Because a man in his own power cannot do this. Takes a special call of God. Takes a special gift that only God can give. That the man of God is able to rightly divide God's word and proclaim a message of, that's edifying to the people of God. It feeds our hearts and souls as a shepherd feeds sheep. And will honor and praise and glorify the Lord. So that's a miracle within itself. It's a miracle that you can hear it and receive it and rejoice in it. It requires the work of the new birth prior to that or you'll just uh, ignore it and reject it because you have no interest in it, you see. 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, the Bible tells us here that Jesus, notice the language, verse 21, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Now, it's important that you read also the Gospel of Mark chapter 7 and put these two accounts together. And that's what you always need to do when you're reading the Gospels, when you read about a certain event. Usually one of the other three Gospel writers, especially Mark and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they wrote about so many different uh, similar things. The Gospel of John is not included in that. And so sometimes one other Gospel writer will write on it, sometimes two. The only... Uh, time you know, that all four write on one of these is where Jesus fed the 5,000 men besides women and children. Here there's two gospel writers write about this event, Matthew and Mark. Okay, so Jesus goes up to the coast. Now when you first read that you might think he actually went into Gentile territory, but he didn't. Remember what the Lord told his disciples when he gave them a commission in Matthew chapter 10. The 12 apostles that he had chosen, which by the way he chose just before this event the twelve apostles, we find that he charged them with this charge. Go not into the way of the Gentiles or the way of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now the gospel came first to the Jew, then it came to the Gentile. The Lord Jesus Christ was a prophet. And in his ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ confined his movements and his ministry to the Jewish people. As Redeemer and Savior, he came to save his people from their sins. He came to save his family. He came to save his children, his people from their sins. And we know his children are made up of people of every walk of life. We know they're out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people upon the face of this earth. As the Savior Redeemer, he came to do that. But as far as his prophet, being a prophet in his ministry, he did just exactly what he told his apostles to do. He's not going to do something different than what he told his apostles. Go ye not in the way of the Gentiles or the Samaritans or the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But Jesus is going to go close enough to the border and he's going to stay in a house, we're told in the book of Mark, chapter 7 again, that this woman is going to leave her house and come to where he's at to make this request. Now Mark tells us she was a Greek, a Syrophoenician, Basically, a, a Gentile. In fact, the Middle Refugee Bible will tell you what the word Greek there means, Gentile. And she's a woman who left her daughter that is grievously vexed with the devil, with an unclean spirit, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has made himself available close enough. He knows all about this woman. He knows her situation. He knows where she lives. He knows she has a daughter. 
And she's a young daughter. She, he knows that she's got this affliction of an unclean spirit of the devil himself. Uh, he knows all these things because he's omniscient. There's nothing God doesn't know. You, you never acquaint God with anything. You never bring anything new to his attention. Jesus has never learned anything. He's never forgotten anything. He's the omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent Lord of glory. So let's notice here this woman of Canaan came out of the same coast. She came out of the coast where these cities were at and cried unto him. When you read the word cry, C-R-I-C-R-I-E-D, it doesn't necessarily mean that tears are flowing from their eyes. It just shows the passion that's in this person's voice, the passion that's in this person's life, the passion, the emotion uh, that they has dwelt up inside of them. And so they, they cried unto the Lord with urgency. And this is what she's doing. She cried unto him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Let's notice how she addresses him here. Have mercy on me, O Lord. She's asking for mercy. Isn't mercy a wonderful thing? What would we do without mercy? <laughs> I don't want to find out, do you? You want to experience another day of life without mercy? You know, Lamentations 3.23, the words of the prophet Jeremiah tells us that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. And so the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. He's a God of compassion. Great is his faithfulness. That's why we see the sunlight again today. That's why we're breathing the air that God has provided for us one more day. Do we deserve it? No, we don't deserve it. But God is gracious to us and merciful to us. What will we do without the mercy of God? Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God who's rich in mercy... I'm glad to tell you, he's so rich in mercy, there's no shortage of it. He's so rich in mercy that he's never going to run out of it. We are vessels of mercy, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9. And therefore, I'm just so thankful that mercy is available for the child of God. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This woman doesn't know it, but is coming to the Lord. She's coming to that throne of grace. She's coming to the very source where mercy and grace can be provided, where she can get it. Have mercy upon me. What was the cry of the publican when he prayed in contrast to the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18? Remember how the Pharisee brought attention to himself. He said, Lord, I thank you I'm not like other men. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all I possess. I'm not unjust. I'm not an extortion. I'm not an adulterer. Uh, and I just read this, I'm thinking this man thinks that Jesus is in the dark. He doesn't know anything about him. <laughs> Jesus knew about that, more about the, the Pharisee than the Pharisee knew about himself, I tell you that. The Pharisee didn't know anything about humility. The Pharisee didn't know anything about thankfulness. All he knew was about himself and what a fine fellow he was, what a great fellow he was. And he wanted to be sure the Lord knew it so he could get a pat on the back from the Lord. But the publican, standing afar off, smote himself upon his heart, upon his breast. He said, have mercy upon me, a sinner. What if Jesus hadn't had any mercy? The man would have went away without it. But Jesus has it, doesn't he? He's a merciful God. Here's what he said to Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, verse 10. You know, this is what Jacob, brother, said. <laughs> he said that God, he said unto me, uh, who is the least, he says, God has bestowed upon me great mercies. I'm not worthy of the multitude of mercies, rather. I'm not worthy of the multitude of mercies which I have received of the Lord, nor the truth that has been revealed unto me. 
He says, I've been the recipient of the multitude and many mercies in life, and I'm not worthy of them. See, when you're looking for mercy, you're not looking for, uh, to, to be uh, blessed of God based on merit. <laughs> you have no merit to present. This woman has no merit to present. Remember, this is a Gentile woman. You've got to keep this in mind. This is a Gentile woman, and she has not been the recipient of all the privileges and blessings that God has blessed the, the nation of Israel with for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. She comes to where Jesus is at. She's close enough to come. You might say, well, why hadn't she come earlier? I just got a feeling her daughter's in such bad condition, she couldn't, be afford, couldn't afford to be gone very long or very far. But on this occasion, maybe she got someone to sit with her. Or maybe it's just a short enough distance. She felt like, I must go see this man named Jesus. I've heard too many things about this man named Jesus. I've heard of his compassion. I've heard of his power. I've heard of his mercy and his grace. So the very first thing that she calls upon him is, Lord, have mercy on me. You say, well, I thought it was her daughter that was grievously sick. Listen, parents live and die with their children, don't they? If your child's going through a rough spot, you're going through a rough spot. If your child is sick, you're sick. If your child is having problems, you're having problems. Uh, that child is part of the parents, of the man and the woman, the husband, the wife, the father, the mother. And this woman here is asking the Lord to help her by helping her daughter. If the daughter is helped, then she is helped, you see. All parents should have that kind of concern and compassion for their children to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to be so concerned about their life that they pray for their children daily. Read Job chapter 1. A lot of people know a lot about the book of Job, or at least they think they do. Here's something people don't know much about in the book of Job. In chapter 1, we find where Job made offerings and sacrifices to God. On what? On behalf of his children. Because when the children was out of sight, he didn't know what they were doing. When the children was out of sight, he didn't know what was going on. And so he made uh, prayers to God and offering sacrifices to God on behalf of his children. They might have been out of Job's sight, but he knew they were not out of God's sight. This woman here is in bad shape. Her daughter is grievously vexed, vexed with the devil. She has an unclean spirit, and she's going to ask somebody here named Jesus to do something about it. So she approaches him, and she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Now, this word Lord's important. It denotes ownership. She was saying, Lord, I, I belong to you, and you belong to me. In Ephesians 1, 3, when Paul addresses this church here, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now, notice what he said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just Jesus Christ, but our Lord Jesus Christ. As Lord, we belong to him. When you uh, read in Matthew 1 and 2 about an angel named Gabriel that brought the news to Joseph and to Mary about uh, her soon-to-be conception and it was going to be the Son of God, we know the angel's name is Gabriel, but you ever paid close attention when it refers to this angel numerous times? That angel referred to as the angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord. When the Lord's on the mountain of temptation... And Satan tempts him. He said, if thou be the son of God, cast these stones into bread. Christ hadn't eaten for 40 days. Satan felt like that would be a weakness in the Savior. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. The Lord quotes from Deuteronomy and says, it is written, 
Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the word of God. He then takes him to the temp- pinnacle of the temple, tells him, cast himself down, for it is written, he shall send his angels, shall lift thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. The Lord quotes back from Deuteronomy, and here's what he says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then he takes him on top of a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. You just fall down and worship me. I'll give you these kingdoms. The Lord quotes from Deuteronomy the third time. He said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now he could just say, thou shalt worship God only. But he didn't say God only. He says, the Lord thy God. The word Lord precedes this. It denotes ownership. It's a significant word the way it's used. Notice in John chapter 13, when the Lord Jesus Christ is washing the feet of his disciples and finishes up, he says, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. But notice what the Lord says. He reverses this. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to quote the whole thing for you. He said, you've called me master and Lord, and she do well, for so I am. But if I, your Lord and master, Jesus reverses it. He puts Lord before master. A lot of people call even the rabbis master, and many people call Jesus master who do not recognize him as Lord. But he says, you have called me Lord and master. If I, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. This is how she addresses him here. We will notice that she will address him this way no less than three times. She says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, thou son of David. Now she's a Gentile, and she didn't really have the privilege or the right to address him as a son of David because that's a messianic title. That's a Jewish phrase. That's a Jewish title the Jews had for Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. Now, either he's the Messiah or he's not the Messiah. That just simply means either he's the Son of God or he's not the Son of God. If he's the Son of God, he's the Messiah. If he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God. Here's a Gentile woman using a Jewish expression that uh, technically she didn't have a right to use. But she says, Oh, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou Son of David. See, in Matthew chapter 22, the Lord asked this question. He says, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? That's an important question. What think ye of Christ? The word Christ means anointed. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said, the son of David. Well, that was true. But they should have went further. He said, how doth David then in spirit call him Lord? He's quoting from Psalms 110 verse 1. How doth David then in spirit call him Lord? If he's just a son. The Lord called the offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. He would have never done that if he was only the son of David. See, yes, he came through the lineage of David. Therefore, he was the son of David, but he was also before David. Read Revelation chapter 22, some of the last words Jesus spoke. He says, I'm the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The root is down under here. I'm the root and I'm the offspring. I'm before and I'm after David. I'm the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. She says, have mercy upon me, O Lord, thou son of David. This woman here is approaching somebody that she believes is the son of David. 
I want to ask you a question. How did she come to believe he was the son of David? How did she come to believe that he was a source of mercy? How did she come to believe that he was Lord? She never heard the gospel preached. The apostles had not gone into Tyre and Sidon. God forbid them to go up there. Well, she believes the same way you believe. How did Rahab the harlot display the faith she had? When the spies came there and she says, we know that your God opened up the Red Sea. We know what your God did to those two kings there in the wilderness. We know your God dried up the waters of, of, of Jordan. We know that he's given you this land. This woman wound up in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. How did she know to say those things outside of a direct revelation from God in her heart? Just like the Lord said to the apostle Peter. He said, Peter, whom say, whom men say that I the son of man I am, etc. And they were all wrong. And then he says to Peter, Whom do ye say that I am? And Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I'm telling you, flesh and blood had not revealed unto Rahab the harlot, who the great God of Israel was. Rahab the harlot uh, and, uh, had this just like Peter. And then there's a little woman named Ruth. Remember Ruth over here? <laughs> um, this little woman, Ruth, well, where did she live? She lived in Moab. She was a Gentile woman. She, she, her husband had died. But she wanted to follow Naomi back to the land of Bethlehem, Judah. She says, thy God shall be my God. Thy people shall be my people. Where you go, I'll go. Where you die, I'll die. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. That's a commitment, isn't it? What a wonderful statement of faith. Where did she get this faith? She'd never heard a prophet. She never had read anything from the Word of God. She lived in a land that means wasteland. It means a, a barren land, unfruitful land. So how was she able to make such a confession of faith? Because God has spoken to her directly, just like he does to every heir of promise, every child of grace. <laughs> That's why I love the doctrine of grace, my friends. It reaches the case of every single one. There's not a case that can be brought where the Spirit of Almighty God with His omnipotence and His grace cannot reach that case. That's one thing that we can at least rejoice in in this day where abortion is so much supported that the God of glory, my friends, shall not be denied. The God of glory shall not be denied. If that's one of His little children in the womb of that mother before the surgeon knife ever gets there, the grace of God will race ahead of it and touch the heart of that little individual child and born into the Spirit of God and bring its soul and spirit right into glory. Isn't that wonderful? That's why I love the grace of God. The grace of God knows no boundaries. The grace of God knows no limitations, no restrictions, brethren. The grace of God circulates around the world. It knows where God's little children are at. And sometime between their conception and their death, the Spirit of God makes them alive in Jesus Christ and places a hope within their little hearts regardless of their situation in life. I love God's grace. I love His mercy. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, thou son of David. And we notice here, He answered her, not a word. <laughs> I don't know if I read anywhere in the four Gospels where Jesus never answers anybody except right here. But you know, by not giving her a verbal answer didn't mean that he didn't hear what she said. Let me tell you this this morning. 
Accepted prayer is not always answered prayer at the time that we want it. Just because we don't feel like the Lord has answered our prayer when we want it to be answered doesn't mean it hadn't been accepted. Remember that. <laughs> Remember that. Accepted prayer is not always answered prayer at that moment. Sometimes there's deferment. Sometimes there's a delay. The Lord didn't have to answer her from the standpoint of asking her about her life, her circumstances. The Lord didn't have to ask her name. He didn't ask her where she lived. He didn't have to ask her about her daughter. He already knew all of that. He knew who she was. He knew where she lived. He knew he had a, she had a young daughter that was, had an unclean spirit, was vexed by the devil. He knew all of that. So he certainly didn't have to answer to get information, did he? <laughs> no, he didn't. But see, this woman's got something inside of her that Jesus put there. It's called faith. The wicked and the evil never come to the Lord. Listen to what I'm saying. The wicked and the evil never come to Christ. They don't acknowledge him, recognize him to begin with. The wicked and the evil have no interest in God, have no interest in the Lord, have no interest in Christ. This woman's got an interest in him. This woman doesn't have a prideful interest in him. She does not come demanding anything. She comes and acknowledges that she needs the mercy of this man. She acknowledges he is Lord of her life. She acknowledges that he is the son of David. And she asks him to drive the devil, to clean, you know, drive the devil out of her daughter's life, to heal her daughter who's been fixed with the devil. Her life is just in misery because of her daughter, the condition her daughter is in. The Lord answered not a word. This had to be, no doubt, some discouragement, don't you think? He answered her not a word. The Lord always knows what he's doing. <laughs> and his disciples came and besought him, means they beseeched him, they begged him, saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. Now, I used to read this, thinking the disciples were being very insensitive that the disciples are not showing the compassion they should have showed. The disciples are not showing the concern they should have showed. But I, I view it different now. I believe the disciples are asking him to heal his, her daughter. By healing her daughter, then she could be sent away because she was crying after them, to them perhaps uh, uh, delaying them, disturbing them. Just send her away, Lord. I believe they were saying that. They were asking the Lord to do the very thing that she was asking him to do. But it looks like the Lord didn't really pay much attention to what the disciples said. Another point of discouragement. But he answered, now the Lord's going to speak. But he answered and said, I'm not sent unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What's that expression mean? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now again, I want to reemphasize that the Lord Jesus Christ has his people out of every nation, kindred and tongue of people upon the face of this earth. When he came to this world, the angel told Joseph that he shall save his people from their sins. That's why he came, to save his people. But as a prophet and in his ministry, he came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to the Jewish people, and she was not of that lot. She's a Gentile. She doesn't belong to Israel. She's not a lost sheep in the house of Israel. Oh, she's a lost sheep in the context of what we're talking about, but she's a lost sheep among the Gentiles. And the Lord at this time has restricted his ministry and that of the apostles to the Jews only. I'm not sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That couldn't have been too encouraging to her. 
She knows I'm a Gentile. How's that going to help me? How's that going to help me? There's a word in the Bible called importunity. It's used just one time. Uh, I think it's over in Luke chapter 8. You can check me out. <laughs> it's just used one time. And here's the lesson the Lord showed about importunity. Because I'm going to show you the Lord's given her opportunity to show her importunity. He said there was a man who came to his friend at midnight. And he says, I need three loaves of bread. I have another friend who's traveling by. I stopped in. I have no bread. I need three loaves of bread so that I can have some bread for my friend. Says his friend that he's asking three loaves of has already gone to bed. Who likes to wake up? Who likes to be disturbed after you go to bed, right? <laughs> he said, because this man would not arise and give him these three loaves of bread because he was his friend, he did arise and gave him the three loaves of bread because this man's importunity. In other words, the man's not going to let his friend go back to sleep until he gets his bread. <laughs> I'm going to just put it plain, okay? He's not going to allow his friend to go back to sleep until he gets his three loaves of bread. So the man finally gives him his three loaves of bread, not because he's his friend. Now, I think he should have done it because of that, but he didn't. But he finally did give him the three loaves of bread because the man wasn't going away. That's the lesson we find in Luke 18, 1 of the widow woman who came to the unjust judge. Uh, you know, that's another lesson within itself, right? So the Lord's going to give this woman the opportunity to manifest her importunity, her insistence. And that's exactly what she's doing. He says unto her, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and you're not of the house of Israel. Therefore, you don't qualify in that regard. Then came she. No one, if he didn't read any further, you might think, well, I guess she'd probably turn around and went away. And she probably just sat down and started crying, said, I have no hope. I, I, I'm not among the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know, I, I came here actually claiming uh, that uh, he was the son of David, and I know that belongs to the Jewish people. I, I don't know anything else to do. Is that what she did? No, she didn't. We noticed what she did. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. A three-word prayer. Lord, help me. She came and worshipped him. That should be the chief desire in your heart and my heart, that we might worship God. That's what we do here at Bethel Primitive Baptist Church. We worship God. We don't come to entertain. We don't come to be entertained. We don't come here to, you know, uh, uh, speak uh, uh, in, in flowery terms about men and one thing and another. We come here to try to honor Almighty God. We try to come here and praise Him for His Son, Jesus Christ. We try to come here and acknowledge how good he is to us, how gracious he is to us, how we're so blessed in this life here with what we have. We don't deserve it. God is a merciful God. We come to worship him in spirit, but also in truth. We want to honor him and praise him and glorify him. We know that truth honors God, my friend, and that which is truth does not honor God. We want to honor him for our salvation we have by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We want to sing praises and pray to him who's a God of glory. 
and we want to honor him with a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and acknowledge him to the very best we can in our obedience to the gospel of our Savior. So when we come here, we come here to worship. It's like the song, Brethren, we've met to worship and adore the Lord our God. That's such a wonderful opening hymn. Brother Wayne likes to call that one, call that one out a lot of times for the opening hymn. Brethren, we've met to worship and to adore the Lord our God, whether it be a, a trembling jailer Oh, weeping Mary, my friends. Uh, can you relate to those in the Bible? That trembling jailer that came and the weeping Mary that came to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read Mark's gospel, you'll find when she first comes to the Lord, I failed to mention this, she came and fell at his feet. Can it be a better place for us in this world than at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ? When you study Mary and Martha, those two wonderful sisters and her brother Lazarus, when you read about Mary and every reference to Mary, she's always at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we belong. We belong at his feet. In Luke chapter 7, there's a sinner woman that comes to the Lord at the Pharisee's house. And the widow woman has a precious box of ointment and she breaks it. She's not anointing. She stands behind the feet of Jesus. The Bible says she stands behind his feet and she anoints his head and it goes all the way down to his feet. Then she said, the Bible says that she wiped them dry with the hair of her head. Now you tell me, how could she do that if she's still standing behind him? She had to be down at his feet to be able to do that. That's where we all belong. If we're not sitting or stand, uh, 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 you know, falling in the feet of Jesus, then we have the wrong posture and we're in the wrong position. This woman here, first of all, doesn't get a word from Jesus. Then when he speaks, he says, I, I've not come except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're a Gentile woman. The disciples' reply seems to have gone unheeded by the Lord. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. You know... <laughs> Sometimes that's just all you can say. Help me. Lord, help me. You know, I've said that a lot here in the last few months. <laughs> I've said that a lot in the last few weeks and the last few days. Lord, help me. Thou knowest my condition. Thou knowest my uprising, my sitting down sittings. Thou knowest everything there is to know about me, Lord. You know, you know all these things up here that I need help in. And so the bottom line is just this. I'm just going to say, Lord, help me. Here's a three-word prayer. And it summarizes everything that's going on in your life. Lord, help me. The second time she uses that word, Lord. The Lord answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Things aren't getting better. They're not getting better. He said it's not meat, which means it's not, uh, it's not correct. It's not right. It says to take the children's meat and cast it to dogs. You know what he's calling her here? He's calling her a dog. The Jewish people refer to the Gentiles as dogs. And he said it's not right to take the children's meat. The children will be the Jewish people. It's not right to take that which belongs to the Jewish people, the children's meat, and cast it to dogs. What's she going to say to that? It looks like now the door is finally completely and totally shut. What she came there hoping to receive... But here's what she said. She said, truth, Lord. <laughs> You've told the truth, Lord. <laughs> I'm nothing but a dog. That, that, that's true. And I realize that I have no rights. 
or privileges, you know, concerning I'm being a Gentile woman. That was against her. Being a Gentile was against her. Being a woman in that present day, in that culture of that day was against her. Seemed like when the Lord didn't answer a word, that was against her. Seemed like when the words of the disciples went unheeded, that was against her. Then when the Lord answered, seemed like that was against her. The first thing he said, now he says this, that seemed like that's against her. But her importunity is coming forth, isn't it? Her faith is becoming manifest. The strength of her faith is becoming manifest. She had faith in the very beginning, but now it's coming, it's rising to the top. The cream's rising to the top, is it not? Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. <laughs> you see the picture? I know you've all had experience of having little dogs in your house and you're not supposed to feed them off the table. And those little critters, they just get there right under your feet and look up there at you like that and my daddy couldn't stand it. I said, Daddy, do not feed tubs anything from the table, little Boston Terrier. Do not do that. He, he's eat this special food. <laughs> and so when we won't look in, Daddy would think, <laughs> he helped him out. He didn't even fall from the master's table. It, it dropped out of his hand from the master's table. I knew what he was doing, so I just let him do it. <laughs> she said, truth, Lord, I, I'm just a dog. But when the dogs got around the master's table, in other words, she says the master's table, she's acknowledging Jesus as her master. She says there's some crumbs that, that's just going to fall. The crumbs are going to fall down. And when they do, the dogs can get it. And all I'm on is a crumb of mercy. All I'm asking for is a crumb of grace, a crumb of compassion. And when she said that, the Lord said, great is thy faith. The Lord Acknowledge two different people with great faith, both Gentiles. Matthew chapter 8, there was a centurion who came to the Lord asking for the Lord to heal his servant. And he said to the Lord, I know you don't have to come into my roof. I'm not worthy for that. He said, I know all you got to do is just say the word and my servant shall be healed. He says, I've not found so great a faith, no, not in all Israel. Now here's the faith of this Greek this Gentile woman, he says, Great is thy faith. Thy daughter be healed according as thy will. And when you read here, here and also in Mark chapter 7, we find where that woman's daughter was healed at that very moment, instantaneous, that very moment. And Jesus healed both of them from a distance, which is important to understand because the Gentiles were considered to be aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and they were far off. But it didn't matter how far they were, brother, they were not so far off. God couldn't reach their case. And God reached the case of the centurion's servant. He reached the case of this woman's daughter, this young daughter, vexed with an unclean spirit and the devil. And the devil was cast out because Jesus has omnipotent power. And when the woman inquired, she found out it happened exactly at the time Jesus said that it would. Three-word prayer. Lord, help me. Now, you can read in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1 of a lengthy prayer, Nehemiah prayed. You can read in 1 Samuel, chapter 1, of a detailed prayer that uh, Hannah prayed. But here we just have a three-word prayer. Lord, help me. But it was effectual. It was fervent. Just like James said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man 
availeth much. This woman's importunity shined forth. Her faith was manifestly great faith. That's the kind of faith I hope that I have, I want you to have, I want us to have collectively as a body of baptized believers here at Bethel Primitive Baptist Church.